Good morning, everyone. Appreciate everyone being here this morning. Uh, we are studying the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 3, and we're down to about verse 11 is where we're going to pick up this morning. But I uh, just want to thank everyone for being here this morning. Before we get started, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We Thank you and praise you for being the one true God, the only God that there is, Father. We thank you for creating this universe and giving us this life to live that we could learn from you and learn about you and grow to be more like our Lord, Father. We, we thank you and praise you for all your blessings, for all this, all that you give us here in this life that we have all these wonderful things where we can come here and worship you and we we thank you, Father, that uh, we live in a country where we are allowed to come and worship you and study your word, Father, and we don't have to have to hide or worry about uh, the persecution that other people do in this world, Father. We ask, Father, that you would lead and guide us in this study, help us to learn what you want us to know, Father, reveal your word to us, and teach us your wisdom and your love, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's see, Matthew chapter 3, going to look at verses 11 and 12. Now remember, this is John the Baptist. Um, he's baptizing, if you look on our, uh, on our map here, he's baptizing out generally in this area along the Jordan River near Bethany. Um, so let's see, chapter 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, couple of things your translation might read a little differently uh, instead of sandals to carry it could be you know uh, straps not worthy to untie that kind of thing uh, this is I'm reading from the New King James Version and then where it says is winnowing fan a lot of times they'll say fork and you can imagine we're gonna have a slide on it but you can imagine more of a pitchfork type of thing um, so just just to mention a few little differences you might see there all right, so we were looking at question seven. Here we go. So we were looking in our workbook, we were looking at question seven. What did John say one who followed him would do? Maybe that should say the one, but nonetheless, what did John say the one who followed him would do? Say so he would baptize, baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, right? Yes. Well, yeah, he's saying he's more powerful than I, right? Pardon me. So, who is who is John? Prom Did you have something, Shirley? No. Okay. Who is John promoting here? Jesus, right? And he's promoting Jesus. He's saying. The one to come, Jesus is coming, and he's, you know, this, and this is how you know a real preacher or a real teacher, they are promoting Jesus. He's not standing out there promoting himself, right? Yes, Pat? Only he and I can 
Yes, you do see the Holy Spirit and the tongues of fire falling on the apostles in, in Acts. That's true. Um, though, if you also notice there in chapter 2, uh, when well, we'll get to that, so it's okay. All right, so why the comparison that Jesus is so much greater than John? Why was, why was he doing that? Well, yes, ma'am. Right, John is trying to make sure that people are not confused. He's like, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the one. And he, but he's pointing to the one, and he knows that Jesus is, you know, God incarnate in the flesh. He's the Messiah, he's the Son of God, and that's who he's pointing to. Yes. Right, that's why he brought up that prophecy, right? He's one preparing the way, and that's what he was talking about. So he's pointing, he's preparing the way and then pointing to Jesus, the one to come, right? So, let's see. So we have a thing, though, and this just kind of brought up a, a question. It's, it's Just think about it. Did Jesus baptize? Well, depending on how you look at it, I'm, I'm going to be very technical about my answer. And I'll say, to my knowledge, or to our knowledge, Jesus did not physically baptize anyone. If you look at John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, now again, this is based just off these verses. He says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. So taken from that, I've kind of assumed that Jesus did not physically baptize anyone. Now, his disciples did, and there could be, yes. Maybe? I'm glad to try to interject something. Yeah. Apostle Paul, for the most part, did not do baptizing himself. He had followers that were with him who did the physical work of baptizing. Paul also did not do very much baptizing, right? At yeah. least as far as we know, because he had other people do it. Right, right. So yeah. Jesus did not physically baptize, but I don't think he could do it all. Right. As far as we know, he didn't. Now, I'm kind of making an assumption off those two verses, though, right? Yes. In Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus was sent back to heaven, he left the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, you know, follow all the things that Jesus taught. Right. Now, at the end... Of Matthew, that was chapter 28 and verse 19, is that correct? Yeah. Jesus gives them that commission. I remember Mark 16, 16 easier, but uh, anyway, but he gives them that, that great commission to do the baptism, oh, yes. you know, right? So the baptism is the correct thing to do. We're not, we're not saying anything bad about baptizing, but just saying that, you know, we don't know for sure that Jesus actually physically baptized anyone. That's all I, all I was really getting at. So. Um, but that doesn't take away from what John is saying either, that Jesus' baptism, when we're baptized, we're baptized into Christ. We do receive the Holy Spirit. We are baptized with that. So what is this baptized with the Holy Spirit? What is that? If you look at it just from a simple biblical view. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Baptized for the forgiveness of sins and will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. We, we, we are blessed with the Holy Spirit. Yep. Of course, 
And that's, did you have something to add here? I was just going to add that. I forgot what we were going to When you get made, it's <laughs> It's okay. It's all right. Okay. So Matt brought up exactly what I was going to is, I think Peter just says it simple and the best in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Mm -hmm. Peter says to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There isn't any special... Did you have something, Maddie? Yeah, I remember what I was going to say. Okay. We, were, we, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's yes, we, we are sealed with the God Holy Spirit. The Holy Justice is. Yes. So, you know, you have to have the Holy Spirit if you go into Christ. Yes. Yeah, well, if you're baptized, and that's what Peter is saying here, if you're baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's no special thing you have to do except the same as we always do, is you're, you're baptized for the remission of sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pat? Yes. The Holy Spirit does, I believe that too, the Holy Spirit does reveal God's Word to us. And uh, sometimes you'll, like Pat is saying, you may read the same verses like, I've, I know I've had this happen a lot of times, and then all of a sudden one day you're reading it and it just kind of pops, and now you have a better understanding of it. You kind of go, oh, okay, that's what that means. And that happens to us, and I think that is really from the Holy Spirit leading us in God's Word. You know, uh, we have to put the effort in, though. We have to make the effort to read, read his word, study his word. Let's see. OK, so did anybody else have anything on that? I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to jump ahead on you. No. So looking at the difference in the baptisms here, John, John the Baptist, his, his baptism was for repentance and it was symbolic in way, making one ready, you know, but that repentance, that's the beginning of it. That's the beginning. That's the change of your heart toward God, right? Um, and, and even submission to God in that sense. And then when you're baptized into Christ, there is repentance, the remission of sins, the actual remission of sins. You receive the Holy Spirit and you can be baptized. We have two different examples. There's in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, let's see. Peter says in the name of Jesus there in Acts 2, uh, verse 38, like we talked about. And Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So then if you look at, let's see, I have an example. Yeah, Acts 19, verses 1 through 5. And it happened while Paulus was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much heard as whether there is, no, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, 
saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that is just an example of what Paul, Paul did in this instance, though it does well, that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that's a that's a good example again. So we have that's just that I just mentioned that because that was a variation. You know, we think of that as I always think of us as being baptized because I was in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But um here they are baptized also or baptized in the name of Jesus, which is that name. I guess in one in one instance we're saying the name of, and in the other instance we're saying in that name. So, but it's through the authority of Jesus, right? So, just but just wanting to show that. Yes, I think maybe we can fall into the trap of like thinking those are magic words or something. You know, which we, which one we say? E either case, it's in God's authority. Right? Oh yeah, so it's not really. And that was my point, is that either one of these is a valid baptism, right? So, But I wanted to show that there was an example of that. I always think of it the other way, the way, the, the way Jesus said it. But, you know, this is a valid example as well. Yes? It's interesting to read how Ananias comes to Saul when he's been blinded and Jesus speaks to him on the road to Damascus and his conversion. And Jesus is really highlighted. Of course, the encounter he has with Jesus on well, yeah, Paul had to find out. I mean, that's why Jesus appeared to him, that Paul had to find out how important Jesus was, that he wasn't. Well, at that point, we know that he had been persecuting everyone who was following Jesus. So, um, all right. So um, if we. Yes, Pat. Yes, yes, they they were confessing their sins when they came. That's a repentance, right? But but Jesus, when he was baptized, he said that was to fulfill all righteousness, and we'll we will get into that more as we as we get there. Um, well, I guess we're well. Anyway, this is the, I have this kind of lined out. So here, it, this was a prophecy fulfilled in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. That's a product of that baptism where we have the Holy Spirit. God had promised this long before that I will put my spirit within you. And so that's a part of that baptism. So then... Also, still looking at baptism, so what is the fire that John the Baptist mentions? 
And I looked at this, you, you could have your own answer. This is kind of an open thing, but uh, I just looked at this a certain way. So, yeah, Dan? The, the, the fire was, now say that again, they, he convicts the person and then the fire is when he redeems them, to redeem them. Yeah, purify. Right, purify them, yeah, right. And that, that's along the same lines I was thinking of as far as the fire, you know, it's a fire of transition from our old life of sin to our new life in Christ. You know, it's a, a fire that we're going to look at in a minute where God purges the chaff from us or the dross from our hearts, however you want to think of that. It's that act of melting our hearts down, breaking our hearts down, and removing you know that sin and the bad nature, the things that we have in us, and then restoring us in our hearts into a likeness of Jesus. So, and it's a lifelong process, that, that fire of change that we go through. It is not like instantaneous for us. But then to go along with that question, what is winnowing and a winnowing fork or fan, like my translation says fan? It is to separate the wheat from the chaff. It is. And here there's an example of a person actually doing that. They kind of throw it up and they let the chaff and stuff blow away. And they use an instrument like that. That's just, you can find other examples, but that's similar to my mind, similar to a pitchfork. It's that type of idea. So, so what does this mean to us then? If he's going to do that, how do we relate that to us? It's his judgment. Yeah. Well, it is his judgment. Yeah. Because there's, there's kind of, I get kind of a, again, a kind of a layered meaning here, kind of a two, two things. One is to me personally, again, going back to changing my heart, it's cleaning out the chaff and the bad stuff out of my heart, but also in the way he refers to it here, it means to the population of people, right? That uh, he will gather the believers, the wheat, into the barn, and then the chaff will be burned up. The unbelievers will be burned with unquenchable fire, right? So, um, and what is the unquenchable fire? Well, we can read of that in Revelation 20, um, actually verse uh, 15. Well, actually 14 and 15. Uh, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Right, where the worm never dies, yes. Well, I didn't know they dumped dead bodies like that. I, I know they had Gehenna. Is it Gehenna? I think that's the right word, where they were burned. They burned a lot of refuse, I'll say. Huh? Oh, I don't know if that meant the grave or not. Maybe it did. I, I, the, my, the instance I remember is it referring to this 
this burning refuse thing, but what? That's okay. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, and and it's used as a reference to hell. Correct. Right. Right. So, yes. Right. And uh, fire is powerful, but it has the power to destroy or to purify. Yes, fire can be used to destroy or purify, and that's a good example that goes with these verses, and I didn't think of that. But, yeah, so, you know, you get those two examples, fire being used to, to purify us, you know, to change our hearts, but also, because, you know, I'm, I think all y'all are familiar with this, uh, like where you melt down metal, and then you, when you melt it down, you clear off the, the junk that's in it, right? And that's done through uh, the use of fire, of heat, right? So that's the idea there, that we would melt down our heart and clean off the, the bad stuff. And then, two, there's the destructive nature of fire where, you know, the unbelievers will be burned with an unquenchable fire. Yes. Yes, it is our it is our choice either way. Yeah, right. But uh, yeah, so that's and that is our choice whether we choose to just be purified or to be destroyed. That is up to us. So yes, Matt. I think here in this context, the choices to be treasured in the barn are destroyed. But oh, not, right. If you look directly at that verse, yeah, yeah the choice is you can be saved in the barn or in heaven, or you can. Be destroyed, right? That specifically is that type of uh, example. Because I had written down here, you know, he will gather the believers to his barn slash heaven slash kingdom. You know, he will keep us, the believers, and then the others will be burned in the, the lake of fire. Does anybody else have anything on those first 12 verses before we move into the next part? All right. I know we're... we're I'm trying at least to to take our time and just uh, you know look at each of these uh, and get as much as we can out of them. So I hope that's helpful to you. All right, so we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. 13 through 17, Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So if we look at question 8, and who came from Galilee to be baptized by John? Jesus, right? I have to kind of laugh. That's just such an obvious thing. But anyway, um, I wanted to show something here on our map. If you can see the red line there, 
Jesus had to travel a few days, and he probably didn't go in a straight line. I just drew a straight red line on the map, right? But uh, he probably didn't go in a straight line like that. He probably had to follow some kind of road, whatever they had at the time, and it probably, you know, a little, little more mileage. But this would have been a few days' walk. This wouldn't have been like an accident that he just stumbled across John or something, okay? I just, I just wanted to make that point. I don't think he just wandered down there. This would have been at least 40 or more miles, and it would have been a few days' walk. It would have been a journey to make. So, all right. So, verse 14, John says, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? So, why would John question Jesus needing to be baptized? Matt? Well, it's said it's a baptism of repentance. But Jesus didn't have anything to repent of. So, like, what are you doing? Right, right. See, that, that would have been confusing, I think, for anybody. Jesus doesn't need to repent for anything. So, John is like, uh, you know, this doesn't make sense. Plus, John knows that Jesus is like God in the flesh. So, he really, he would like to be baptized by Jesus, right? I mean, that makes perfect sense. Who wouldn't? So, um,. Okay, and that's because, you know, Jesus was, like we said, he was sinless. He didn't have any sin. So if we look at verse 15, like Pat mentioned this earlier, why did Jesus get baptized then? To fulfill all righteousness, right? And Pat's already mentioned this, so I didn't want to dwell on that too long. But so how does, how did or how does Jesus being baptized, how does that fulfill all righteousness? Since that's kind of a vague phrase. Yes, Rachel? He's not going to ask us to do something that he hasn't done himself. Right. True. Setting that example for us. He's not going to ask us to do something that he's not done. Yes, Matt? And part of what Jesus is characterized by, by being free from sin, is that he actually followed all the things of the, of the law of Moses perfectly, where no one else could. Right. And, and so John is a prophet commanding the people to do something, and so people need to do that. So he's following the law. Maybe we wouldn't say the law of Moses, but what the people, what God's people are supposed to do, he's doing it too. But he's doing what God's people are supposed to do, and John, as a prophet, is calling people out to be baptized, so Jesus is going to do that, right? So, and that goes, I think that goes with what I was thinking of as far as being humble and accepting God's authority in our lives. That's, that's what Jesus is showing us, how to do that and to do that. He shows obedience. Yeah, right. And accepting God's authority. Yes, Pat? Well, and that is a result in that it, if you think of it that way, it gives uh, God a chance to declare him as his son because that does happen right there, right? Um, and it does one other thing, which I, I have... I hadn't read this. This was not actually my own thought, but somebody else mentioned it, and I thought this was pretty good. It also confirms, from in our eyes, from our point of view, it confirms John's ministry as being that um, that voice paving the way. Right? It can it confirms him because Jesus came to him and was, was baptized by him. So that confirms him as that prophet. Um, all right. Does anybody have anything else on that? Yes, Shirley? Uh, I'm reading out of the King James Version. Okay. 
says, Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. So it took John and Jesus both to fulfill all this righteousness. Yes, because it does say, even my version too says, fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So that's that's true. It took both of them to fulfill that, right? Yes. And that's still an example for us because I guess I can't baptize myself, can I? I mean, we kind of need someone else, right? And that is why John was a forerunner of Jesus. Yes. Right, because he was, he was setting that example too and paving the way, right? I mean, that was part of, part of what he was doing. Uh, Matt and then Judy? So I hadn't really thought about that in advance. It's a neat point for the us, but I guess as I was hearing her read that and thinking about that, my thought goes to what I was trying to say before, that, that Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. He's being the perfect Israelite because all the other Israelites failed. And so it's the Israelites need to have a perfect one. So maybe he's identifying with the people of God in general and saying it's fitting for us as Israelites to fulfill, fulfill all righteousness. You all are failing, but I'm going to do it and be the perfect perfect uh, sacrifice. Yeah, I, I, it, I guess it could. I, always, I was taking that as being him and John as well. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, either way, he is being that perfect Israelite, and he's setting that example and following God and submitting to God. Yes, Judy? I was reminded of the relationship of John and Jesus, and John had always known Jesus because he left in the womb when, when Mary came. So, right. You know, when they met, it was John that left in the womb. Yes. So, you know, that was recognition. He knew who Jesus was the whole time. I mean, it was, he had that, you know, more than the knowledge. Yeah, John recognized Jesus even in the womb, right? Like Judy's mentioning. So, and here in this account, I mean, it, he, he recognizes him, right? And he's like, I need to be baptized by you. Yes. Uh, wait, did you have something? Go ahead. I think it says John was filled with the Spirit in right. in the womb, right? Yeah, right. So was, that's my remembrance. He was um, fulfilling what he was meant to do. Right. He's being led by the Right. He's doing. He's fulfilling what he's supposed to do. Okay. Yes. Well, okay. I I hadn't looked specifically at that in relation to the timing of that, but uh, John, let's see, one twenty nine. Let's see. This is the next day. John saw Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But I thought that was, maybe I'm wrong, I thought that was after the baptism, but I could be wrong. I think John doesn't specifically show him being 
John doesn't. What John does, the Gospel of John, which I was going to get into that, but the Gospel of John actually, it lets John the Baptist kind of recount the baptism in a couple of sentences. It doesn't really show the account the same way that other Gospels do. But it, it does have, like, he takes, he quotes John the Baptist saying that he, he knew he was the one because the Spirit of God had come down on him or something to that effect. I, I, I've got that coming up. Yes? Yes. And then in verse 30, he says, this is the one I meant. And he talks about him, he has surpassed me, and he says... Oh yeah, and then here in 32, he says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Now, the funny thing he says in, in verse 33 is, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So that sounds kind of odd, but I think what he means is, at least this is the way I took it, was that, you know, they're cousins, but we don't know how many years it's been since they've seen each other. So maybe he didn't, in a fleshly way, recognize him immediately. You know, maybe that's what he's getting at. Did you have something, Matt? Yeah, just that 32, 33, you were talking about the dove and the spirit descending on him. That's, that's, we know that's his baptism he's talking about, but he's yes. talking about the past tense. So it's, it's, just it's, already, occurred. it's already occurred. Right, and that's why, I said, that's why I was saying it was unique about John's gospel. He really gives John the Baptist this quote instead of relating the event itself. Yes, Pat? Well, I'm not sure exactly what. I mean, Mary and Elizabeth were, I guess, were they? I, they were relatives in some way, and, and I've always kind of just said, I, I believe it says somewhere that they were. Well, maybe not. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. I'll just say that they're related, and we've always kind of said, I think, as a general rule, that they were cousins, whether it's second or third cousins or whatever that would be. But they, they are all related. In some manner, yes. John one thirty one is interesting because he says that this is the reason I came baptizing with water. Kind of goes with the whole thoughts there to reveal to Israel. Oh yeah. Therefore, I came baptizing with water, right? Right. So that he should be revealed to Israel, right? Yeah. I've um, as far as their relation, I know that Mary and Elizabeth were some kind of cousin, and that automatically would make. John and Jesus, some form of cousin, just, you know, maybe more distant cousins. But All right, so let's see. Um, does anybody else, did, did, was there anything else somebody wanted to say about any of that? I'm sorry, there was a lot going on, so I could have missed something. Okay. All right, so let's see. We talked about Jesus getting baptized. So if we look at question nine, as Jesus came up from the water, what three things happened? The heavens opened, right? And the Spirit descended like a dove. 
And then a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Right? So you notice that all three of the Trinity are there. The Spirit and Jesus and God, the voice from heaven, you know, making their presence known. So they're all witnessing this event. It's, uh, I just think that's an important thing for us to realize. Yes? I had to go back and look up the word delighted. Because my brain just went blank. And it's delighted Yeah, resting on. You know how a bird will kind of alight, and, and I think that's why we represent it. It says like a dove. Excuse me? Oh, no, it's not a word we use as often, the alight. You know, we say, I guess we say landed more or perched and that kind of thing. But uh, um, let's see. So, You know, all the Gospels in one way or another do do relate this event. Uh, though, again, like I said, John's Gospel is a little different. And his is unique in the way it does that. We read those verses, so I'm not going to read those again. Um, and then we talked about John maybe not knowing Jesus like in a fleshly way just because, you know, they're 30 years old. Jesus is 30 years old. I'm assuming John is a little older than that, right? Maybe even 31. We don't know. But, uh, you know, maybe they hadn't seen each other very in a long time, and they didn't have Facebook and stuff like we do, where you're always seeing pictures of each other, right? Yes? It's interesting, the choice here that God made to affirm this act of obedience that Jesus did. The voice is a auditory thing. They heard it. Yes. And the heavens open, that's visual. Um, and the dove landing or resting on Jesus is kind of a physical thing. A yeah, there's a little bit of everything there, right? There's kind of that physical, or at least it hearing, seems physical, and then there's hearing, seeing, yep. Yeah. So the apostles forward, they talk about we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. Right, yeah, and the apostles do say that. Remember, we were talking about that in John. We, we saw, we heard, we handled, we touched the Lord. Did you have something, Addie? I'm not sure what she said, but my hearing's getting worse, so I'll probably repeat something she said. But the plain simple truth is, the way I understand it, the reason the dove lighted on Jesus' head was to show that he was, that was the symbol that he was the Son of God. And John might not have known that Jesus was the Son of God until that moment. Right. He knew he was looking for someone, and when that person comes, he was recognizing. And then whenever he came up out of the water and the devil landed, I mean, God said what he did. Oh, you really are the son of God. Then he knew for certain, right? I mean, everything, at that point, everything would be confirmed when he saw the heavens open and the Spirit coming down on the Lord. And then um, all of that, that would definitely have confirmed everything to John, right? And hearing God say that. so So that would be... That would all be a big confirmation. A lot of a lot of stuff there. Uh, it's also, I, I think, seeing a lot of that and having that happen that way again that reinforces that baptism is an example for us to be pleasing and to be submitting to God and being humble before God. I think all this that Jesus did is very important for us to realize that that is also an example for us, even though we don't get 
the big ta-da, right? I mean, we don't get the heavens opening. We don't get the, the magical whatever. And I'm not trying to make fun of it, but I'm just saying we have to realize that we don't get the special effects. But it's still important for us to know that that is uh, an example for us to follow. Yes, ma'am. Well, this doesn't mention oil directly in this text we're reading here. It, it, it's reminiscent of a coronation of a king. You know, this is uh, well, it is kind of, ain't it? The, That's the, right. The, the, the spirit comes down, and and uh, you know, it's the idea that this is this is where he's declared as the Messiah, and then he goes on, yeah. of course, with temptation and all his work. Right. This is this is where he is basically, as Matt is saying, they basically declared as the Messiah. It's it's kind of like you could think of it as a coronation event. Here he's being crowned, and God, the authority, the authority is God, right? So when God is recognizing him and saying he is the one. So yes. Are we to is that we're adopted as the son or daughter of the Lord? Right. Right, our sins are washed away, and that, and that is that is important, and that is a big to do. I just mean we don't get the special effects, but but yes, it is important. Our sins are washed away. We're we're grafted into the family of God when we're baptized, right? So it's all very important. Um, we're out of time for this morning, so I will pick up here next week. I want to thank y'all for your time and your attention. Really appreciate it.